Hi, I am Martin, and this is Words That Change You. Words fly all around us. Kind words, silly words, angry words. And they do so all day long. But how often does something written or spoken really feed our souls? Wouldn't it be nice if beyond the noise we could listen to words that make a difference? Words that change us. In Words That Change You, we'll examine words, events, concepts that have impacted us lately and see whether we could not glean some nuggets of wisdom to feed on and some tools that apply that for our lives. Tune in and be surprised. Change. How many conservatives does it take to change a light bulb? Change? This joke is told about various groups, all of them conservative in outlook. Orthodox Jews, conservative politicians, old people. The point is always the same. Some people are change averse and feel threatened when the status quo is disturbed. I have personally lived with people on each end of the spectrum. Those for whom any change in routine is deeply upsetting, and those who would just as soon change things for change's sake. Probably the most challenging task of any manager or CEO of an organization is to effect change. Plans are being made, strategies decided on, but somehow the implementation grinds to a halt. Books have been written about why that is. Did he not explain sufficiently why change was necessary? Did he not get enough buy-in from management or rank-and-file members? Is there active resistance to the new approaches, procedures, directions suggested? The striking finding by a lot of organizational studies is that, while above reasons should not be excluded, the most common cause is simply that people do not know how to convert good intentions into genuinely different behavior. What about personal change? Can people change, or can't they? If you're married, you're probably convinced they cannot, since even after 25 years, your spouse still behaves the same way as on the day of your wedding, however much you have been nagged. But this is actually a relevant question which has provided ample grit for the mill of social scientists. Without getting into too much detail, the majority of scientists believe that on the whole, a person's personality is somewhat stable, that is, it changes little over time. How deterministic it is versus how much it depends on the stimuli received, that is still hotly debated but there is strong evidence of certain traits remaining pretty constant over a lifetime. Introversion might be a good example of that. In fact, that is part of a broader, strongly validated construct of the so-called Big Five. It posits that each person scores somewhere along five scales. Conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience, and extroversion-introversion. And these scales are not random, but together they give a pretty complete picture of somebody's personality, and one that remains quite stable over time. In other words, to use a colloquial formulation, 
A tiger cannot change its stripes. What does that mean concretely? The accountant type will struggle to ignore a balancing error of 5 cents. A slightly neurotic person will always check whether his or her glass is clean. An extrovert will gravitate toward crowds to get energized. And some people will enjoy visiting new places, while others prefer to go on vacation to the same place for years. Seeking to change those traits is, on the whole, a fool's errand. But what about concrete behavior? If we did not think behavior could change, any form of education would be a vain undertaking. Children can learn to write more neatly, greet adults when they enter the room, keep track of their pocket money, and speak publicly without using him at the beginning of each sentence. And yet, the older we get, the less we do seem to be able to change. At least, that is the common view. But let us try to drill deeper into that phenomenon. As we mentioned earlier, spouses observe that their partners repeat the same actions, however annoying. What are the reasons? The first one often is that we don't realize that we display certain behaviors, let alone that we annoy others through them. Secondly, we ourselves don't consider such aberrant behavior that problematic. Quote, yes, she complains all the time, but what is the big deal if I don't take out the trash right away? End of quote. In other words, there is zero motivation to change, since one is satisfied with the status quo. A third phenomenon is what we might call the frozen in time reflex. Quote, this is just who I am, so I won't change or even try to end. One is convinced that this is just how the good Lord has made us and we are proud of it. An example would be a person who regularly gets into a tangle with their friends simply by overreacting to something the other person has said. When somebody then points out to them that some of their conflicts stem from that trait, the answer is often, if they don't like me the way I am, then let them find another friend. What they don't realize is that they confuse personality with behavior. No, you can't change your personality traits, but yes, you can possibly change your behavior. And that gets us to the paradox that we want to examine in greater detail. Sometimes we want to change, but for the life of it, do not see a way of doing it. We want to lose weight, stop drinking so much, no longer shout at our kids, come to meetings on time, our behavior seems stuck in old patterns. After a few attempts, often coupled with New Year's resolutions, we give up, assuming that this is too high a mountain to climb. Some try coaches or self-help groups, but even those often get missed since they do not seem to yield any results. I am in a book club and we are currently reading a fantastic book called Immunity to Change. It is a workbook intended to help uncover reasons why individuals and organizations regularly get stuck in their attempts to effect change, even though the conviction is there to make the shift. Allow me to explain the author's thinking just a little bit, in the hope of leaving a few insights for our reflection. Keegan and LaHaye start by inviting one to pick one behavior 
or would like to change. So you set a goal for what kind of behaviors you would like to alter. Pick something that is central to your progress, something that motivates you. An example would be, I don't want to be such a perfectionist and drive everybody under me crazy in the process. The second step is listing all the behaviors which prevent you from achieving that self-improvement goal. To stay with the example of the perfectionist, those might be staying too late at work, not delegating, taking work home. Where the book's insight comes in is in distinguishing technical and adaptive change. Many of us would consider the perfectionist issue a technical change problem. He or she simply needs to change those behaviors and bingo. But one of the reasons why we see people struggling with change is that it is actually an adaptive change. Let me explain. We sometimes don't affect the change, which we know will benefit us, because we have what the authors call conflicting commitments. Something scares us away from dropping the counterproductive behavior. Going back to the perfectionist, She's concerned that if she does not work as hard, burning the midnight oil, she will be considered less essential and thus less respected at work. And that concern is rooted in some big assumptions such as, if I am not seen as essential to every process at work, I would cease to be special. Only when we debunk that big assumption can we begin to change. Let us play through these steps with a behavior that hits closer to home. We decide that in this coming year, we want to be a less nagging spouse. That is our goal. The behaviors which currently keep us from making the change are noticing and voicing anything that is out of order in the house, bringing up such issues first thing we enter the home, not noticing things which work well in the home, just to name a few. When asking why one engages in such behavior, the answers are something like this. Somebody needs to make sure the home is well ordered. If I don't point out what is not working well, nobody will. We will live in a pigsty if I don't monitor progress. Underlying our assumptions such as cleanliness comes next to holiness. If people notice that there is disorder in our home, they will think we are uncivilized or my spouse simply does not know how to keep a home clean. Here we can see how silly some of those big assumptions are, but until they are debunked, change might not actually happen. What is an adaptive change will only get resolved once one gets unstuck from one's big assumptions. That is also true for above-mentioned changes we often want to effect at the beginning of a new year. We don't start going to the gym because we think it is going to be too hard. We don't stop smoking because we think it will rob us all of our pleasure and so on and so forth. New Year is around the corner, and with it the typical New Year's resolutions. Those can sometimes be deeply frustrating, because come 1st of February, you realize that we have not made much progress in keeping them. So next to considering what we might want to change this year, let us spend some time drilling down to the big assumptions which keep us from changing behavior. Maybe that can help us make a small change and progress on the way to perfection. 
As John Henry Newman used to say, to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. Du et ma vie du, so This was Words That Change You with me, Martin Steinbreitner. It was produced by Fritz Lowy, Pirushka Kacha, Harry Kalef, and Jacob Dubibert. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Also feel free to leave us feedback or questions on Facebook under Einstein Podcasts. Until next time.